0: Welcome to Intersect, Where Church Meets Culture. I'm Josh Desch, the lead pastor at Northeast Presbyterian Church in Columbia, South Carolina. And I am joined as always by my wonderful wife, Betsy. Hey, everybody. Bets, it's always great to have you. And we are so excited to have a new friend on our podcast today. Our guest is Jim Pacta. Jim is a ruling elder in our denomination, the PCA. And he's a licensed Christian counselor with Pacta Counseling in Dallas, Texas. Jim is also, or was one of the committee members of the PCA's Ad Interim Committee on Human Sexuality, which produced a really amazing report on human sexuality that we're going to get into later in this podcast. So Jim, we are just delighted to have you on.
1: Well, thank you. It's certainly an honor to be here. I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, to the, the time we have together.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, he, here's the uh, title of the podcast, everybody. And uh, we we trust that the title will become clearer as we get into the podcast. The title of uh, these interview episodes is "The Messy Work of True Love." The messy work of true love. Uh, why is Truly loving people the way Jesus has called us to love one another often work that is challenging and messy and difficult and not nice and clean and tidy and everything that we Often wish it would be. So, we're going to explore that topic. But, Bets, could you go ahead and just lead us off in this discussion with Jim?
2: Yeah, Jim, it's such an honor and a delight to speak with you today. So, thank you for taking the time um, for this conversation. So, um, I was wondering if you would just go ahead and kick us off telling us your story. Um, what has the Lord led you through, and how the Lord eventually led you into the PCA? We would just love to hear some of your story.
1: Sure, I'll give you the the, the story in a nutshell. Here, um, I was raised. Uh, born in Cleveland, Ohio, raised in a very large family. Um, adopted, foster, and a couple of biological children thrown in for good measure. Um, not a healthy family. Dad, violent alcoholic. Um, mom, doing the best she could, but very uh, controlling and uh, needing other people to see her as uh, having it uh, all together. Um, children raised in fear. The, uh, um, about the age, from the age of about five, I always felt like I was a, uh, the proverbial girl trapped in a boy's body. Um, I uh, felt like I had nothing in common with my father. Um, who was uh, an ex army man, big, brutal, brusque. And uh, I was uh, tender and sensitive, artistic. And so I grew up feeling so different and so uh, alone that I would look to other boys and think, "I, I really wish I were more like them. And what typically happens in that kind of a situation is I want to be like, I want to be like them turns into I want to be liked by them. Mm. So later on in my life, not only did I become transgender, that girl in a boy's body experience, but I became same sex attracted. I became a gay man. Mm. I was kicked out of my house about 15, shortly after I told my father that I was gay, my father used to be a gay basher. He used to work in downtown Cleveland and beat up gay and transgender folk. And when I told him that I that I thought I was gay, he would re, he regaled me with uh, stories of um, how he used to. Entice them into restrooms and then flush their heads in the toilet and beat them to a bloody pulp, Mm. shaming me in the process. And then he said, so this certainly couldn't be you, could it? And of course, I denied it. And uh, it wasn't long after that, that I was uh, kicked out of my home at the age of 15 and lived uh, in a foster home until I graduated high school where I joined the Navy to get out of Ohio. And moved to San Diego, where I lived with a partner for the next four years, Um, lived in in three, had three Navy bases, but uh, um, stayed in San Diego the whole time, where I met the gay community Mm -hmm. and uh, felt like I had finally arrived home. Um, I could be me. I could be who I thought I was. And I found freedom, or what I felt at the moment was freedom. But while I was there, while I was in the Navy, I met a young man who approached me one morning after I got off work. I was a cook and a baker in the Navy. And and I got off my night shift, and he showed up at my barracks room while I was changing clothes, ready to go home. I lived off base with my Lover, and he said uh, um, that he wanted to share the gospel with me. Well, I had become a Christian about a year before that, only to be told because of my homosexuality, I had lost my salvation. So I thought, easy come, easy go. So when he started talking to me about the faith, I said, Yeah, I already tried that, thanks. But uh, no thanks. And he tried to show me from the Bible how what I was thinking was not accurate. And he wanted to get together for a Bible study in the morning. Something that he was calling a quiet time. He was with a group called the Navigators that I had never heard of before. And he was 6'5", blonde, blue, built. So I thought why not (laughs) so we started getting together for quiet times in the morning and something started to happen to me i started to take this bible seriously but i never told this young man about my same-sex attraction i never told him that i was Um, cross-dressing in the evenings that I was performing as a drag queen doing Barbra Streisand impressions. I never told him about any of that. I had learned my lesson a year before. This time I was going to play it safe and I was going to keep that to myself. But I continued to do Bible study. I continued to read the books that he was giving me, knowing God by J.I. Packer, This Sovereignty of God by Pink, other deeply theological books, and God started to do a number on me. So I got my ship, finally, where I got to go overseas, and I decided it's time to leave this life behind, and I did. And I thought what I need to do for God to really change me is I need to get married. So when I got on the ship and I went overseas and I went to the Overseas Christian Servicemen Center in the Philippines, I met this young woman. And I thought, she loves Jesus. She's a good singer. She studies the Bible. Okay, <laughs> why not? So I, would, I started dating her. I, every time I came into port, I would come see her. And after my Westpac cruise was over, I proposed, and she said yes. We got married in 1979. We moved to Dallas where I attended Dallas Bible College. I never told her about my story. Mm -hmm. We got pregnant, and we lost our first child. It was a really horrific experience because my wife, many months in to the pregnancy, found out that there was no heartbeat and had to carry this child waiting for the body to naturally um, deliver. Mm. People would ask her, when are you due? Mm. And she uh, would not be able to tell them the truth. Oh, awesome. And so... That was so devastating, and I believed God was out to get me. I felt like God was still attacking me, still punishing me for my life, for my sin, for my temptations. So right before we had our next child, I decided that would be the right time to let my wife in on me. I am a master of good timing. (laughs) So I told her, and I think she was angry with me for probably the next decade. (laughs) 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 Um, But little by little, we started to deal with it. And in Dallas, we started a ministry, to make a long story short, we started a ministry to the gays and lesbians in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. This was the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. Mm. Hundreds of gay men were coming out, terrified of getting this terrifying disease. And they, they uh, were coming to faith, and they were being discipled. And here I was, um, 24 years old. Trying to minister, having no understanding of ministry, teaching the Bible, having no training in the Bible, and feeling like it was up to me to fix these guys when I couldn't even fix myself. Years before, I was told by a nationally known evangelical leader, fake it until you make it. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was attempting to do. After about six, seven years in this ministry, I just fell apart. I fell to pieces. I was so terribly depressed, Mm -hmm. and I fell. And I left the ministry. The depression got worse. I left the church. The depression got worse, and I left the Lord. Mm -hmm. After the next decade, I went back to school. I uh, got another job. I couldn't even do that anymore. I became agoraphobic. I couldn't even leave the house. The anxiety, the panic attacks, the depression all took its toll. And I decided I just would rather be dead. Mm -hmm. My wife was at a conference one night. My three sons were in bed. They were teenagers at this point. And as I was writing my suicide note, my wife walked in the door and stopped me. She talked, it was a grief conference that she was attending, and she talked to me about the theology of mourning. Understanding grief is what we discussed that night. She told me, I have 20 things here you've never grieved. Mm. And at the end of the night, I added another 10 things. And that started God working in our lives, and that was 25 years ago. And he's not stopped and we've not stopped. And blessed are those who mourn. The blessing of mourning we have come to discover is the redemption of our stories. God gives value to our stories, not in spite of our sin, but because of it. Mm -hmm. Because that's where Jesus gets to be king. That's where Jesus gets to be savior. Mm -hmm. I'm not done yet. I've got a long way to go. Same-sex attraction is not something that changes overnight. Being transgender is not something that changes overnight. But I've come a long way, and I am privileged and honored to be the husband and father that he has designed me to be. Mm -hmm. And that's where we have developed a voice, and that's where we have developed a vision because of the story of
0: grace that God has given us. Wow. Hallelujah. Yeah. (laughs)
2: That's
0: all you can say. (laughs) Before we go on in the podcast, let's just praise God's name Mm. for Mm. a beautiful story of redemption. Mm. Uh, Mm. And every story of redemption is beautiful. And we're we're grateful to hear yours, Jim, Mm -hmm. and what he's done and how you are living out that beautiful story that God is writing, that he is still writing in your life. And really... With that background, um, our audience can understand um, why, how the Lord eventually brought you to be put on the PCA ad interim committee on human sexuality. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, Jim, we would love for to hear from you as one of the men on that committee. Just not—I don't even believe there were ten men uh, on it—to give us the purpose of that committee and the report. And how was it crafted? Could you do that in a fairly concise manner?
1: I think so. Yeah, there were mm-hmm. six of us on the committee. Yeah. Two of us acknowledge being, coming from, uh, having a story of having been same-sex attracted. Um, Tim Keller, Kevin DeYoung are a couple of names that people would recognize. Brian Chabot was our uh, moderator, mm-hmm. was our chairperson. Chairman, um, yeah, you know, we, as the, as the PCA, a couple of few years ago, started struggling with the whole issue of same-sex attraction through the Revoice conference that was put on um, in uh, St. Louis mm-hmm. at Memorial Presbyterian Church. Greg Johnson led this, or invited them to use um, that particular um, building for their conference. It's not a PCA organization. It's a parachurch organization. Mm-hmm. But that created a firestorm. And it was uh, something that a lot of people in the PCA, me included, thought, you know, it's important that we know what we believe about this and that we know how to minister to those who struggle with this so mm-hmm. we need to do something we uh we had passed already in our BCO one man and one woman at for yep. marriage yep. and then the next year we passed the Nashville statement we recommended that and 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 some thought that's okay but not good enough We want to have something that is more pastoral than that,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: that is more deeply, richly, robustly theological than that. So let's get some of our own people to create a report on this topic. So some of us were asked to be a part of that, and I wholeheartedly jumped at the opportunity um we uh we met once a month for a year. I think um 8 9 times we would fly to Atlanta for the weekend and 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 just word for word we went through this report. There's not one word in that report that we all didn't agree on. Wow. Which created some interesting conversation. How
2: about <laughs>
1: Because when you have people on different ends of the spectrum, um, you're you're not going to be in agreement on everything. And so this was not a consensus piece. This was a piece where we were all believing in what we wrote down. Hmm. But what really surprised me about this group of men was the joviality we had so much fun these were men that loved jesus and we loved one another and we were we were theological and we were biblical and all of that but the laughter that came out of that room was something that really surprised me mm. we really did enjoy one another oh don't get me wrong those discussions got well, not heated but intense mm. But we enjoyed one another, and we had some fun. But it took quite a few months by the time we wrapped up that report.
2: Yeah, we read that together as a church over the summer, I guess, summer of 2021. Mm. And, um, oh, it was such a blessing. I I was just struck by, um, as you said, the pastoral tone. And there was so much care that came from it. You could tell how... How carefully the words were weighed, and um, it, it really is um it, it's a remarkable piece of work in my opinion oh well so. thank
1: you that's an answer to prayer that mm-hmm. that's what we were looking for. <laughs> I am teaching um for the next year just the twelve statements all year round and I've got a couple of people to help me, a couple of men and a couple of women that are going to go through our Sunday evening um, classes, and we're teaching all year round um from all the statements.
0: It's going to be wonderful. Pretty much Mm -hmm. universally acknowledged in our denomination as a wonderful document. Very helpful. And true confessions, uh, I love footnotes. I'm somebody somebody who reads all the footnotes when I'm reading a doorstop book. And the footnotes in the report are really good and helpful (laughs) and enlightening. And y'all just did such a good job.
1: Oh, thank you so much.
2: Oh. So, Jim, in, um, in your experience, what is the church, you know, broadly spoken, what is the church getting wrong in our care for people who are same-sex attracted and even the dialogue about, um, about them? What are we getting wrong, do you think?
1: Well, let me just start with the, a whole, whole lot of the church is getting it right. Mm-hmm. Hmm. When I go into so many churches, my wife and I do conferences on gender and sexuality. We really do feel so embraced by so many. Um, we we walk away just just loved and cared for. So let me just start with so much of our uh, our denomination, because I primarily speak at PCA, so mm. so much of our denomination is getting it right. Mm. But where we're getting it wrong, there are two ditches, I think, on the on the side of the that road. There's kind of a fundamentalist ditch there's a, there's a side of the road that is that is saying the gospel is good for you. But you need more than that. They're offering me more than the gospel. The, the, Jesus plus, you need to do this or you need to do that in addition to the gospel. Mm-hmm. You need to read the Bible more, or you need to you need to go to church more, or you need to pray more, and you need deliverance. Um you need uh, demons cast out. These are all things that have been said to me. A pastor when I was starting that ministry in Dallas, the pastor that had come alongside me finally told me he thought I had a demon and it needed to be exercised. Wow. Um it broke my heart. I did not and do not have demonization. I it's just not accurate. And so just Not seeing me as a lousy, rotten sinner saved by grace like everybody else is one ditch. Mm -hmm. The other ditch is less than the gospel. The ditch that would say, well, you're okay the way you are, Mm -hmm. right? That you have a gay orientation." I don't see orientation as a biblical category. I just don't personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a male, and and I'm human. Those are biblical categories. Homosexuality is not a biblical category. Homosexuality was created in the 1860s by a, a German doctor. And heterosexuality was created as an afterthought to that to counteract the homosexuality. So these are not biblical categories, never have been. Hmm. But to be told that I'm in a mixed orientation marriage, I find problematic. And that's less than the gospel, because that doesn't allow me to change, Hmm. to grow. Because...
0: Because that becomes an immutable orientation, kind of becomes an immutable category. Is that how it's exactly. presented sometimes? Okay.
1: Right, right. That, that you're straight, I'm gay. That's just the way it is. And I don't want to, I don't want to claim that as my orientation. I don't even want to claim heterosexual. I'm neither heterosexual or homosexual. You know what I am? I'm a Linda sexual. That's what I am. I am oriented toward one woman named Linda hmm. for the rest of my life, period. Hmm. If I have to have an orientation, that's going to be it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. and, that's so, fantastic. and I feel that that's, that's less than the gospel. That gives me something less than what everybody else gets. Hmm.
0: Everybody, we are going to pause here. We are having a wonderful conversation with Jim Pachta, ruling elder, counselor from Dallas, Texas. We hope that you'll come back for the second part of this interview, the messy work of true love. We're really starting to get into this uh, idea of how love can be messy um, with Jim introducing the two sides of this ditch. So, uh, bets as we always say to our folks, rate, review, subscribe, subscribe, mm-hmm. and uh, we will see you next time. Thanks, everybody.